0: It's lovely to have family among us and be family. I, uh, I love that actual slot now where we're actually hearing what's going on, hearing what's happening in our youth. And uh, it's great family time, connect in these moments. And um, yeah, it's great to also just want to give a special welcome to Isaac's uh, sisters with us. As you know, Isaac passed away Thursday before New Year's. And as his sisters here with us in family, you're very welcome. Hope you feel welcome. And I hope that you feel the presence of Jesus among us us today, as you gather with us. Um, we are in a brand new year, and uh, some of our guys have been um, up to mischief during the Christmas period. So I'm just going to invite them up for a couple of minutes, Brian, Diane, and uh, Paula, and Nigel, uh, for a couple of minutes. And uh, they're going to... Sorry. They're just going to give us a... Quick update they've been on their holidays in France. I tell you, they can do it, can't they? And now these guys have given up their Christmas holidays, went out to northern France to serve refugees um, who, are, who are basically just trying to find a life and trying to find a future, and they're just going to let us know what was happening. Um, thanks for the preparation time, Jason. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, so we were in France for a few days, um, the weather wasn't great, um, didn't send back any postcards. <laughs> we got to serve probably about a thousand guys um, over a four-day period and tried our best to buy a little out of Madeira and crisps. Um, it was very busy, very full-on time, um, and I think we're all now starting to get back to a point where we've recovered from the experience. Um, From my point of view, the one thing I took away from it, um, you could tell lots of stories about people, young girl coming to get clothes because presumably she was going to tackle the English channel in the dinghy, Um, or young guys who were permanently disabled because they'd been beaten by the police, all sorts of people you met. But the one thing that I took away was the the absolute privilege that we have in this country. Um, we, we have no idea how lucky we are and how privileged we are when you see the guys out there. Uh, and you hear stories of guys who went on a, on a civil rights march in their, in their hometown or home city and as a result, were basically ostracized and had to leave the country. Um, it's incredible, incredible stuff. But anyway, enough from me, I'll pass it on.
2: This is coming over to you. <laughs> yeah, so again, plenty of stories, plenty of people. And you always come away just feeling it was really worthwhile to do what we did. We kind of, You kind of feel those fellows will never, ever forget that motorhome sitting there and a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and a place to sit down when they really have nowhere to sit down. Um, they sleep out. And as you went to bed, you thought, well, I mean, we're sleeping in the motorhome, but they're sleeping outside in the wintertime, and it's pretty dreary. And you meet them in the morning, and you shake their hand, and their hands are just ice cold, and then they go to wash in cold water. And one special moment for me was when, towards the end of the day, guys started to come over to the motorhome with uh, a one-liter empty plastic bottle and said, could you give us some warm water? Because it's a great motor home, and it, and it actually produces warm water. So they go off with their bottle of warm water, and they wash their hair. So that's quite a, just quite a special thing for them, to have a wee bit of warm water, and they really love their hair. And they do have lovely hair. And, and it's just, yeah, such a shame that they've only cold water. So."
3: And if you ever want to come out again and try a week without washing, because yeah. uh, that's what we did, <laughs> there was no facility, so we were sort of fairly high when we got back home. But anyway, that's part of the crack of it. Um, these two women here served their butts off, basically making tea and coffee, and I think we should know them. Thank you. Yeah, it's. Um, I suppose none of us are adverse to a bit of hard work, but I think the way most of us have been since we came home, we're absolutely rode off. And I think it's not just the hard work, it's the emotional <clears throat> side of the people that we meet. And um, it's just amazing to think that we can come here this morning and nobody really worries about us coming to worship God, but the people that we met have come two, three thousand miles through all sorts of difficulties, to get away from persecution. And it's just lovely to be able to, for three days, absolutely serve them, uh, give them warm tea with five sugars in it, mm-hmm. and uh, speak a wee bit of Farsi to them, or not Farsi, but mm-hmm. sarami. The few words that we've we've, we've uh, learnt. And their faces just light up when you say, Hush, halam, or, almost, I forget all the, the different <laughs> words, <laughs> <coughs> Churnibashi, <laughs> and... Uh, it's just their local language and the, the, their faces just light up. So it's nice. We did very little in terms of the broad picture, but for those that receive a wee bit of comfort, it probably means everything to them. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's amazing to think that a young couple in their 20s from Iran would rather go on a three metre dinghy across the English Channel than stay any longer where they are. And we did meet a couple who were just heading that night. And I don't know what happened to them, but they were just new Christians, they said. And there they were, trying to find a new life. Uh, the crazy thing about going across the channel in a small boat is that if you're within a kilometre of a big ferry, it sucks you in underneath. And that's quite a distance to get away from any, any big boat. And so it was quite a risky crossing in a small dinghy. don't know whether we support it or not, but we can understand why people do it, because their friends have been martyred uh, back home. So thank you for supporting us and your, your prayers when we're away and uh, we look forward to going out again.
2: And just to say thank you so much for the socks and the hats and the boxers <laughs> and the gloves. They all disappeared in a letter literally. So thank you.
0: Brilliant. where people uh, just falling forward in God's mercy and just compelled by His gospel and His kindness. that leads us to do outrageous things like go to France during our Christmas holidays. But uh, my name's Jason. If we've never formally met, please hang around straight after for a coffee. I'd love to get to know you if this is your first time. Again, you're very welcome. We're going to begin a brand new series in a brand new year called Anchors. And if you need a Bible, there's some here at the front because we're going to turn to Scripture in just a minute. If you want to grab one. Uh, somebody could come and grab them, put your hand up if you want a Bible, I'd love to see them disappear, if you don't have one at home, take one home with you, it's our gift to you today, and you can, if you want to grab your Bible, if you have one, or maybe using a phone or anything else, turn to Matthew 3, uh, 13 to 17, if you want to go there, and uh, we'll be opening up the scriptures in just a moment, or two, did I have a Bible this morning, yeah I did. Hey, you know what's a great thing? In in January, it gets you back to reading Scripture again. So I encourage you, grab a paper thing. Sometimes it's just a bit more interesting reading paper, and you can actually underline it or use a pen if you're comfortable doing that. Um, It's a great way to open up Scripture. And uh, also, too, what I do every so often, because I'm such a consumer, I buy a new one, even though I still have pretty good Bibles at home. It's just that newness, again, of having something fresh. For me, it's a psychological thing. And uh, so, yeah... I'd encourage you, these things are easy to pick up nowadays, and as Brian, Dan, Nigel, Paula alluded to, that there's other countries in the world that don't have access to ancient scriptures, uh, never mind places of worship, where they can freely express their love for God and each other. So I'd encourage you, to open up the scriptures in this new year, get into the practice of reading uh, on a daily basis, uh, we really believe in the ancient scriptures here, that they not we don't believe in them, but we believe in the author of them, that he changes our lives. Scripture itself doesn't change our lives, but it's who we meet when we read the scriptures. It's who is in the pages of the scriptures. And like I say, it's the only book that we open where the author turns up all the time. It's brilliant, isn't it? So and again, it's uh, New Year's. It's that time of year where I roll out that joke. Every year, and sorry, I have to do it. There's something within me that just needs to get out of my head before I do anything else. So if your parents were praying for you all year and you have a grandmother or a granddad always wished that you'd go to church, you can go back to them today and say you have 100 percent attendance this year to church. They'd be absolutely blown away by that, and, and as you are with that little joke. right? And just another thing just to get out there, New Year's resolutions. Are you making them? No. I, I see them one every year. Uh, Funny, Micah was saying to me, Dad, what's your New Year's resolution? I know what you always say, but do you have any New Year's resolutions? No, I absolutely don't have any New Year's resolutions other than the one I made probably in 1999, and that is to stay married to the same woman, Michelle. Well, I actually made the New Year's resolution in 1999, so it's okay. I'll tell the story when I'm up here. Um, And also um, to stay following Jesus. And those two things, if I'm staying on track with those, my life's going to be pretty healthy in the other areas that I need to take care of. Okay, so new series. Every now and then, we waver. We waver. We live in a culture that's changing Brexit, no deal, deal, no deal, deal, no deal, no letmings. All that there stuff with Brexit. And it's just, I don't know about you, but I'm bored, bored, bored. Politicians, do we trust them, do we not trust them? How many days have they been out of office, etc., etc.? Truth, no truth, Harvey Weinstein. We live in a shaky world. We live in a shaky world. We live in a world where we don't even know ourselves at times. And it's really important in life that you know who you are and what you're for. Every now and then... Um, I'm having a conversation, particularly this one, I'm going to use Caleb for an illustration. I'm having a conversation with Caleb about a, an idea in my life or something that I'm going through in my life. And I am maybe wavering on it and thinking, what should I do? What should I not do? And he'll, he'll say this one thing to me. He shoots straight back and says this, back yourself, da. Back yourself. Uh, and, and as followers of Jesus, I want to say to you as your pastor, back yourself, This year, back yourself in the things of God. Have confidence in Jesus, not yourself, but have confidence in the firm foundation of Christ and the ancient scriptures. So I want to ask you, what do you believe about yourself this morning? That's my conversation. What do you believe about yourself? What are you convinced about? What we believe about ourselves have all sorts of ramifications. And what we do in life and what we don't do in life forms that. It also forms what we believe who we become, or more so than, than anything else, who we don't become. Because many people live their lives never becoming what God dreamed for them. And his vision for our lives is, is pretty good. And if you're an apprentice of Jesus, and even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're invited to the task to discover identity and call in your life. All of us are. All of humanity has eternity written in their hearts All of us are called into relationship with Jesus. And as that is the case, then we're also called to discover identity and calling. It's very, very important. Now, let me say this right from the get-go. This is not some self-help 2019 New Year's Resolution talk. I'm not talking about self-help. I'm actually talking about Scripture that's deep and something that Jesus calls us to. And this is known right throughout history in the Christian church. In fact, Augustine... Who wrote the Confessions? He wrote in the Confessions, How can you draw close to God when you're far from your own self? There's a connection there. There's ramifications on knowing yourself, knowing your identity and your calling, and also what you do and what you don't do in life. And then John Calvin in 1530 wrote, Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts. First of all, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it's not easy to, de- to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. One um, guy who's been very helpful to me and who we got to hear live on time, speak, uh, who helped me with the whole practice of Sabbath that absolutely revolutionised my life, was a guy called Pete Casario from New York. He says the vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are, without being fully aware of it. We live someone else's life, or at least someone else's expectations for us, right? And as a result, we end up doing violence to ourselves, our relationship with God, and ultimately to others. It's powerful statements, powerful statements. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're an apprentice of Jesus Christ, if you want to live a life with God, doing what Jesus did, and becoming like him, then identity is a big part of that. So let's turn to the ancient scriptures. Matthew chapter 3, 13 to 17. Many scholars, New Testament scholars, debate when was the moment that Jesus became aware of his identity? What was the time of his life when he actually understood who he was, where he came from, and what his task was here and there? Some people say it was when he was a boy in the temple. But I would uh, probably guess that this is a pretty key moment. This text itself is a pretty key moment in the life of Jesus when it surrounds itself and identity. You turned there? Well, you're on a phone. If you're on your phone, please do not go to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Stay with the Bible and then get off it and listen back to me again. Are you okay? Keep smiling. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so. In fact, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. For all his transcripts say, this is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased with him. This has to be a key moment. In the identity of Jesus, knowing who he was, verse sixteen: As soon as Jesus was baptized out of the water, he, he comes up, and, and then his voice from heaven says, "This is my Son in whom I love; in him, I am well pleased." Where does Jesus get his identity from? Earth? No. Scripture is very basic and very clear and simple on this, and it it gives us something for all of us to do. Life as we become followers of Jesus Christ, our identity in the. Fo- and Jesus' identity comes from heaven. It's heaven-based. It's in the realms of heaven. And it's the voice of the Father speaking over our lives. And unfortunately, I don't know about you, but often my identity comes from the earth. Not some weird foodie thing like in the earth, but actually from earth, from, from society, from the culture, from, from what goes on around me. I'm impacted it. Over Christmas, have any of you been out for a party, New Year's? Eve, do you do do that sort of thing? There's a Christian should party. Jesus did it a lot. He came eating and drinking. He was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. There's a reason for that because he was going to a party or coming from a party. Any of you guys at a party? No? You lie. I was at a party with you. You were there. They're they're all lying. Anybody else been to a party before I start picking you out? Okay, yeah. I've been on your Facebook. I've seen your Instagram pictures. Some of you need to get re again by the Spirit of God straight after this. So you go to a party, and, and, and again, I've alluded to this time and time and time again, more so in the male conversations, but you go to a party, you're meeting somebody for the first time, and the first thing you say to that person is, what do you do? It's an identity. Our identity, if it comes from the earth, is that this prevailing idea is that our identity comes from what we do, what we do. We're an achievement society. Always trying to achieve, always trying to, to do better. It's this machine that keeps on going and you can never do enough. And in, f- in fact, this generation... If you talk about accomplishing and, and doing more, this generation to date has more opportunity to fulfill their life's potential and their life dream than any other generation lived before. We have more resources. We have more money, believe it or not. We have more advantage. We have more education. We have more know-how. We have more entrepreneurialism that's gone before us to get us to where we are yet. But listen to this. Listen to this. Never, ever has mental health, the illness of mental health, been on the rise as it is in our society. So identity and calling, where is it from? Others of us were tied to materialism, right? So the hot water washing your hair, like it's just like hot water washing your hair, no chance. I'm never going on that trip. That's me just, I'm, I'm, out, right, right, I, I, I'm out right away. I need to wash every day, twice a day sometimes. So no hot shower. I, I wouldn't even go on a music festival if there wasn't a shower. All right? I'm not that rock and roll I'm more Kardashian than I am (laughs) Bear Grylls. (laughs) So for others, it's like material, and materialism has become the religion of the modern age. It is the religion of the modern age. It's, it's, it's serious. Fashion is more than just practically keeping you warm nowadays. Fashion is a statement. It's like what you wear is who you are. And, and for those who you who dress badly, it's your cars are your thing, right? It's what you drive. It's, it's just your car doesn't, doesn't get you from A to B. Your car is your statement. Would you ever downgrade your car? Would you ever drive a Skoda? Heck no. Even though the engine's made by somebody else. No, you don't want to drive a Skoda. You've got to drive a Whatever, you fill in the blank there, not to cast aspersions or guilt on anybody. This is a guilt-free conversation. That's why I'll pick on myself more than anybody else this morning. So it's like, yeah, materialism, fashion is more than, than keeping you warm. And, and, you know, it identifies us to a tribe. We all want a, a place to belong. And so we all dress the same. And we have this identity statement. Things are not just things. They're our identities. They are our identities. Things are not just our Things. For others, it's pleasure. Pleasure defines us. We go after pleasure because pleasure is the cultural topic at the moment. Sexuality. Gender. And without going into too much on that, can I just say that, is that really the most important thing in your life, sexuality? Does that really define you as a person? I don't think so. I don't think so. Then outside of sex, we, we want pleasure, we want, we want to travel, we want to, we want to f- eat food, it's, it's all to do with this hedonistic lifestyle of travel and food and if you read Michelle's blog, hers goes a little like this, I am Michelle, the mother of three children, and Marty Jason, I like to travel, and I like to eat food, so she's totally hedonistic. That's who we are, you know, that's where you eat and have you been here, have you tried it yet? You you, you mean to tell me you're still living in the 21st century and you haven't eaten the
2: Landis?
0: (laughs) Who are you people? Get a life. It's your identity, it's in your pleasure. And so we go after sex and we go after all sorts of things, well it's materialism, it's just pleasure, 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 but is that really our reality? And then there's popularity, and we don't really think about that, but we're swimming in it. It's like the fish, you know, what's the water like? What's water? What's popularity like? We're, we're living in it, you know. We're, we're so many people, and, and, and sorry for picking on teenagers, for, but I'm going to do that. It's what others think of me, is, is the prevailing narrative in your life. What others think of me, the, pr- the pressure to project an image to a room that really doesn't care about you. The pressure to project an image in a room that's so far from who you really are. You know, and probably I'm probably so last year talking about Instagram. But, like, do you ever see somebody's uh, utility room in Instagram? I've not seen many pictures. Have you? You don't have a utility room? You need to get materialistic, man. You need to build a, a fine, fine, fine utility room with everything in it that you need. There are all sorts of places where we get our identity. The danger is, and I hate to say the appoint the point They the obvious, but identity is tied to your self-worth. Who you are as a person, who you are becoming. It's, it's all to do with your self-worth. And so there's all places that you get it. And then it's also, if it's your self-worth, then it has to be all about your security. And we gravitate towards tribes and people who are like us and and who dress like us and talk like us and drive like us and drink the same wine as us and do all sorts of things. And by the way, those things are not bad. God gives us good things so that we can have pleasure. But if they become our identity, then as Jesus talks about, they become shifting sands. To use the language of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he talks about shifting sands. And that's what they are. All of those things that I talked about and there's probably others can be taken away, stolen or lost. Then who are you? You lose your job. You're passed over for promotion. Who are you without your job? That's why so many people struggle in retirement because their identity is wrapped in what they do, not who they are. And they find it very hard. They get lost. They get depressed, especially men. They get depressed in retirement because all their worth was in their work. They didn't know who they were outside of that conversation, in that context. So we lose that. We lose our scope. We lose who we are. Possessions. Like, who would I be without a FESPA? Can can you imagine I didn't have a FESPA? My identity is gone. Like, I am the reborn again mod, right? And I lose the FESPA. I lose my identity if something goes wrong. Or seriously, what about financial hardship hits? Who are you when you can't afford to keep up with your latest possessions? Who are you? Who are you without them? And again, I'm not disparaging possessions. If you have a car and a good car, make sure you give people a lift. Make sure you're taking people to the church that can't get to church and take people to the supermarket who can't get to the supermarket. There's nothing wrong with having a good car. It's just what you do with it. If you have a good house, be hospitable about it. Be like Jesus. Allow the theology piece of furniture in your house to be the dining room table where people come and eat. Allow it to reflect your life. But our identities, our identities are not on the earth. Get your identity from heaven. The voice of God who wants to speak over our lives. So, this key moment in Jesus' life, it's kind of cool, isn't it? Like, he gets baptized. Anybody been baptized in water? As in the scriptures, full the mercy. Yeah, like quite a lot of you guys. Come on, play fair with me. Even I'm looking out at people to be baptized, and they're like, no. Not put my hand up. Put my hand up for this, I have to put my hand up for something else, and then you make fun of me. I promise I won't. I'm going to be super nice pastor this year. That's my third resolution. Stay married to see a woman, follow Jesus, and be super nice pastor to all you guys. Yeah, right. So anyway... <laughs> This key moment, Jesus goes into the water like you're, just like your bapti- baptism. He comes out of the water. Out comes a dove from out there and in here. If the pool's over there, it lands on your head delicately, not to mess your hair up in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And you hear the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Anybody ever had that happen to them? No, me, yeah. me neither. And so what we conclude is that this has nothing to do with me, or does it? Let's turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. You doing okay? Did I tell you what the series was called? Anchors. Good. Oh, what, a great, what a great worship set this morning, too. Just sets your mind and your heart for that. Can I read it to you, if that's okay? You can follow along. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, and that's very important, in Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glory, glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavishes on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven. And on earth, together, under one head, even Christ. In him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also, who are included in Christ, when you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession. To the praise of his glory. This is the word of God. It is absolutely true, and it is given to us in love. Blessed be the name of God. So, this idea that we are in Christ is phenomenal. It's a phenomenal idea. And it's true about you. It's true about you. And it's all to do with union. So basically, what what's in Christ is in you. What Christ gets to do, you get to do. The benefits of Jesus on earth are your benefits in Christ. The word Christ, sometimes we just, we, it means saved and anointed. But Probably one of the best interpretations of the word Christ is Christos, the Greek word which means Messiah, and it gives us a framework to help us think through this union in Christ, our life in Christ. Hope this is not too heavy for you. We'll come up for air in just a moment or two, I promise. So this in Christ. So when when Israel was waiting for their Messiah, Israel, he would fulfil all things for them. Yet they they didn't count on the way that he would do it. And when he came, he 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 brought this kingdom. And therefore, the benefits of this kingdom of heaven now become our benefit. When he conquered the enemy, we conquered the enemy. When he died on the cross, guess who gets the benefits of that? You and I, when we engage, when we're in Christ. So we have the benefits of that. His kingdom becomes our kingdom. That's what union with Christ means. We have full access to the kingdom of heaven. And again, all the benefits of the victory. This is not some self-help again. This is not some uh, weird thinking of health, wealth, health, and prosperity. I'm not talking about that this morning. I'm talking about the reality of our character and our identity, our calling, is in Christ. What's in Christ is in us. What's in Christ is in us. basic idea is that what's true about Christ is true about you, right? How do you feel about that? What's true about Christ is true about you. When God looks at you, he sees you incorporated in the union with Christ. And that, my friends, is identity. That is big-time identity. I want you to hear that this morning. Just let me say that one, one more time. When God looks at you, he sees you incorporated in union, one who is in Christ, and that all is connected with your identity and your calling. Listen to the identity statements. We have read a sentence. Okay, so this is a letter written to the Ephesian church. This is not, this is not paragraphs. In the ancient scriptures. This is Paul writing a real life letter to the church in Ephesus. So there's no numbers, there's no chapters. He's just writing a letter to them. And he gets going, he gets he gets his air, his lungs full of air, and in a few statements, let me give you some identities that he gives us when we're in Christ. This is you in Christ. I want you to hear this, right? It's on the screen. It's going to be on the screen, I think, behind me. Blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's in verse 3. Holy, verse 4 blameless, verse 4, loved, verse 5, predestined, verse 5, adopted as sons and daughters, 5, in God's will, 5, to the praise of His glorious grace, 6, redeemed, 7, rich in God's grace, 7, wise and understanding. Do you feel wise and, under- and one who has understanding? Yeah, well, in Christ you do. 9, aware of the mystery of Christ, chosen, 12, for the praise of His glory, 13 included, 13 saved, 14 sealed with the Holy Spirit, 14 God's possession, 15 in line for an inheritance. This is who you are in Christ. And this is just a few sentences in the breath of this man called Paul to the church and to us who are in Christ Jesus. That's not what I was anticipating at the end of that. I was knocking this out in the manshed, in the back garden. Or the shed, as we like to call it. And man, I was maybe a little excited, you could say. But when I read through these, and then I started putting them down, and then I started to read them out loud, and then I started to put them in the PowerPoint for you, and I thought, wow, wow, wow. And then I came along here, and I went, wow. This is who you are in Jesus Christ. And I know what you're thinking. You're saying this is one sentence. And I'm guessing this is why we don't have the wow factor this morning. And these are probably inside words. Is you're probably thinking, I'm not. I'm not that. I'm not blameless. I was channel hopping last night and came along, came, came to a little soft porn and stayed there. I'm not holy. I'm not blameless. But have you had a see me driving this week, driving up there and one looking for a, car parking space in Avenue Shopping Center. don't know why I'm mentioning that there, but I think it's a prophetic word for some of you out there. My language was choice when I couldn't get a space. I wasn't holy. I wasn't blameless. Have you seen the way I treat people at times, especially in the workplace when they drive me up the wall, especially on a Monday morning when they ask the dumbest question? In our workplace, we're allowed to ask Michelle three questions a day. That is true. Three questions a day we ask a lot. She's infinite and has all the understanding and wisdom. See, we don't see ourselves there, right? Because like that, that's who I am in Christ. Yeah, that's who you are in Christ. Now, let me help you with this. One of my favorite guys out there who writes stuff about the Bible and we call theology is a guy called George Ladd who actually formed theology for the Vineyard Church. Uh, and what John Wimber did, who founded the movement, he, he, he got on this guy called George Eldon Ladd who talked about the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a lens how we view the ancient scriptures. I hope this is helpful. And, but what Wimber did then, he actually took the theology and actually made it a practice. He actually did something with it. And that's why we want to be hearers of the word and doers of the word, right? Because as James tells us, faith without works is it's not good. It's dead. So George Eldon Ladd, he, um, he helped us with this language of the now and the not yet of the kingdom of heaven and if you even look at the life of jesus jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here he says it's near and he says it's coming so which is it is it here is it near Is it coming yes it is here near and coming what i mean by that it has come but it's not fully come it fully comes when jesus returns and then we realize all things and as we sang this morning what a beautiful song of faith this morning he is making all things new right here on this earth He's making all things new. From Jesus came to who returns again. All things are being made new. So that's why we're not here in the vineyard. We're not going to preach against art or music or entertainment. That God's going to burn this earth and to hell with everything. Literally. No, not to hell with everything. To heaven with everything. In fact, from heaven to earth with everything. Making all things new. Does that make sense to you? Good. Glad that's helpful. So, as these theologians... He talks about the present. It's present in part, but yet here, not here in full. So we have to wait for Jesus' return. And then Lad and all the other theologians, they sit around drinking, uh, I don't know, what would they drink? Infused tea and smoke long Gandalf pipes and talk and use big words. And they come out with this big word called eschatological realism. Do you like that? Because that's what they do. And then for people like me, we just, I just, it just hurts my head in the shed, going over this stuff, eschatological realism. Eschaton means future or the end. Realism means the present, the reality. So here's a simple explanation. I hope this is so helpful. We'll find out in five minutes or so as people start leaving. Uh, you are in a process of becoming who you really are, That's what I'm saying. Does that make sense? So you're in a process of becoming who you really are in Christ, also Your identity is not rooted in the past. It's so helpful. Or even in what you are right now. Because some of us are just, if we were honest, like we're just, sometimes, sometimes we're bad at it. Just life. Being human. And then there's the being Christian part. Right? Is that okay to say that? We're not perfect at it. Let me say that. You know, some of us still spit. Don't we? And cheat and gum and go to the cinema. But for most of us, you see, our identity is from our past. If you see yourself in Christ, it's a whole different way of, of doing life. We're, we're, we're finding ourselves, even as Christians, a lot of our identity, a lot of our, our conversation is even earth-based. As in, it's not the voice of heaven, but it's the voice of earth. It's, it's it's wrapped around identity things that are not healthy at all. So, for instance, like a lot of my identity growing up was wrapped around my education, and so when I get into conversations in bigger rooms with smarter people than me who would talk about eschatological uh, realism and uh, all those sorts of things, I, I, I used to cram up, clam up, because I was told that I would never amount to anything. That my education was very very poor, and so that was my identity. And then it affected my present. It was never helpful. But then I had a God story, and then Jesus saved me. But then my God story didn't really propel me into the future that God had for me. My God story then and years ago was always Jesus saved me from myself and from my sin, and I'm here today. Thank God for that. Well, that's good. But there's more to it than that. It's not on our past, we're not living in our past. We're as followers of Jesus Christ, as apprentices of Jesus Christ, we are living in God's future. We're surrendered to his future, that's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And so for people who say to me, What's the vision for Vineyard Church Dungana for the next five years? I'm surrendering to the future. And any pastor or teacher who can rhyme off the next five years to you, be weary. Or wary. Or both. And that's not to be disparaging, but like, we are not the movers and shakers. We are the moved and shaken. Our job is to fall into the future of heaven. See, the kingdom is always future, and it's crashing into our present. So my job as a leader of this house, and Michelle and I, and the team, and the leaders that, that are, I'm surrounding myself with, whether they go to France, or whether they go to India, or whether they go to Cold Island, we're all in this together. Our job is simply to surrender to the future voice of the Father that's crashing into the present to make all things new. Is that helpful? Now, vision does come out of that. But the vision part is surrender to the future, first and foremost. So who are you, Jason? And I struggled with that question for years. Who am I? Well, I'm somebody who's struggling in school. Who are you? I'm somebody who has a quick temper at lines, man. Who are you? What is the truest thing about me? Well, I'm discovering who I am in Christ because Paul's telling me who I am. I'm in union with Christ. And I'm sorry to use the cliche, but when Jesus looks at me, he doesn't see my past. He sees Christ in me. He sees himself in me. When the Father looks at me, he sees Christ in me. It's not, uh, it's not some cheesy, cheesy um, thing that Christians say, but it's actually a reality that changes and transforms our life, our everyday ordinary lives, our getting up in the morning, our going to work life, our sex life, our entertainment life, our what we do with our eyes and our hands. It changes everything about us. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus and who I am becoming. Do you believe that? It changes everything. See, so many of you are driven by fear. You're fear-based. Some of us are even afraid to identify ourselves as Christian. As Christ followers, our anchors are not deep. We don't know who we are. We're bolstered, sort of tossed around with the sea of culture and everything else. When people start to have identity conversations and sexuality conversations, with you, you don't know who you are, where you are, and what you're about. But you can be rooted in Christ. You can have an anchor that keeps you safe from the storm. I feel a song coming on. You can have an anchor that holds you in storms of life. That you know who you are, regardless of culture and society and anything else. There is a Christ in you that is becoming. Who you are. And that's not bad English. That's just truth. See what? Oh, and by the way, guys, don't misread me in this. I am not shrugging off sin. I'm not passing a glance at sin and I won't get a and, an and saying that's okay. In fact, there's nothing but corrupt and warp your identity more than sin. Sin is selfishness. And it's not just selfishness, it's stupidity. It takes you away from who you are becoming and what Christ has made you to be. So sin is the thing that will sabotage your identity. Sin is the thing that will corrupt and warp and it affects everything that you do in life. It really does. See, my resolutions are pretty smart resolutions if you want to go a little deeper. Staying married to the same woman, that's smart, and following Jesus Christ. Because you know what? Every temptation leads you to three things. Your future, your faith, and your relationships. The temptation always does. Are you listening to me this morning? That's what temptation does in your life. So turn to Ephesians 4. We're coming on the land. wasn't too heavy, was it? It's good? Come on, my identity is in being self-praised. Was it good? <coughs> so if you read the book of Ephesians, so you know, you don't have to start in Genesis in January. You could go straight to Ephesians. I would do that this week and go over it. Seriously, Ted. So Ephesians 4, the first three chapters, there is not one single command. Read it. In this letter, when we get to chapter 4, it's the first time you see a command. And here's why. And here's why I think Paul's a very clever writer. What you do flows from the truth or the lies you believe about who you are. You with me? Who are you? Who? Who? No, the who? No. Okay, who are you? Who are you flows from the truth or the lies that you believe about who you are. Most people actually believe more lies about themselves than they believe truth about themselves. Negativity always trumps positivity. That's never surround, always gauge who you're surrounding your life with. I would go seven to one, just for starters. Right. If you're around one negative person, get yourself around seven positive people. I need the upper staff here at the vineyard. That was just a wee joke. Sorry, sorry. Did anybody hear that? No, no, no. Okay. Oh, say, okay. So you have to have your identity first. That's it's what you do. Okay. Uh, and sometimes the church gets a wee bit crazy on that. So society, it's all about what you do, and it's this, 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 this power and this this god of endeavor and do more and achieve, build, buy, own. And then the church it, it goes on the crazy other side and to overdo that to try and compensate for that, they overdo the whole thing. It's, it doesn't matter what you do. Have you read Genesis? You rule and you reign with Christ. You get to do a lot of cool stuff. You get to do a lot of cool stuff. So the both are of equal but but Paul's right. First of all, set your identity, and then what you do, and what you're called to do comes out of that. Set your identity. Who are you? Do you know who you are? Do you know what you're for? Do you know why you come here to a gathering? See, it's all about who you are, and it's, it's, it's all about knowing who you are that really drives what you do. Why you get up on a Sunday morning and come to church? Who are you? Father of Jesus Christ, baptized into the family of God. That to me is a great reason to get up for church. You are actually baptized into the family of God. The one true humanity. Okay? So these are just practical things. So Ephesians 4, 1-2. to Here's the focus point now in chapter 4. As a prisoner of the Lord, then in light of this, in light of all this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And then he lets it rip. He lets it rip. He just goes on and on. Be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another. Command after command after command after command. But what's the first command in the entire letter here? Because this is where it starts. This is the first command. Chapter four is the first command. Everything else is who you are, who you are, who you are. And so we'll get to chapter four. It's a focal point. It's a big aha moment. It's the command. So here's your identity. And what's the first command? Live a life worthy of your calling in Christ. That's the first command. Live a life. This is who you are. Now live up to it. That's is what he's saying. This is who you are. You're blameless. You're righteous. Live up to that now. And he just doesn't leave us to some self-help book or find some guru or mentor or anything you got there. He actually gives us the person of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, to be able to do that. And he brings his, present, his future into our present. All those things that we're going to receive in heaven someday when there's going to be peace, when there's going to be no more sin, those things become our reality here now on 2019. Does that make sense? That's our reality. That's the reality that we can live in. So this is who you are now. Live up to it. This is who you are becoming. Now become that person, but become that person in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in union with him. Give me a bit more grace. Overshot, but give me a bit more grace. They're still singing in there. Here's a spoiler alert. Private Ryan, saving Private Ryan. Brilliant. Who's, Who's seen it? The rest of you, for spoiler alert, you had 20 years to watch it. You haven't watched it, tough. Here it goes. I'm giving you the end part. Okay, so Matt Damon, he, uh, he comes back, present-day reality. is a man in his 60s. He's at the grave of Captain uh, Miller's grave, so it's in France. I've been to some of those graves in France. It's just full of white crosses, just flat-level white crosses. He's standing in front of the grave of Captain Miller with tears in his eyes. He says, I hope I've earned what all of you have done for me. And then his wife comes up to him and with tears in her eyes, and, and she's kind of startled. He turns around and says, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. Now, here's the flip. I think it's not a great ending. I don't think it's a happy ending. I think it's a haunting, crippling, expectation-type ending. Did I measure up? I don't think that's what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying, go out and earn it. Go out and do your best. Go out and, and, and do as much as you can. And maybe, maybe at the end of your life, maybe you could turn around to somebody, maybe your spouse or your friend or a, a member of your family, and you could ask them that question, did I lead a good life? And hopefully, maybe, just maybe, they might just say, yes, Brian, you went to France. You're a good man. You lived a good life. Paul's not saying that. Paul is saying that in Christ, in Christ, the pressure's off. In Christ, this is our reality. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to try and work it up. Let me try and explain it this way. Um, my wedding day, I pronounced after I, we did the singing and all that there and did the exchange of rings, the pastor gets up a end and he says, he says, that was, we were married at 14. Michelle was six. He <laughs> could get married young in those days. And so they said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. What kind of husband was I at 14? As a man in church that I came from, he used to pray for all those newlyweds. They prayed the same prayers. "I've prayed for the people getting married. They don't even know the price of tea bags. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> but I was still a husband on that day as I am to this day. It is who I was becoming. It didn't make me less of a husband. I was still a husband. But I had to know who I was, what I was called to, and who I was going to be. Does that make sense? Then I had a child at 17 or 18. (laughs) I became a dad for the first time. I can tell you quite categorically, I hadn't a clue. I hadn't a clue. But I was no less a father to Caleb and then Micah and Matthew than I was 21 years ago when we met our firstborn. But I was becoming a father. I was a father, becoming a father. I was a husband, becoming a husband. I am blameless and becoming blameless. I am blessed and becoming blessed. I am holy and becoming holy. I am predestined. I am predestined. (laughs) I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I will be filled with the Holy Spirit tomorrow morning and the next day and the next day. And you know what the Father does? Your identity says your identity is not found in shifting sands of culture. It's not found on the earth. But your identity is found when you get God's eyes on you and his voice over you. In that moment, you turn the corner of your life.